I'll give you a quick overview if you'd like. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about some different aspects of family this week. Uh, we'll talk about unity. Family is unified. Tomorrow in the morning we'll talk about faithfulness. That's Faithfulness is a family word. God uses it with us. Uh, to, he uses it to describe himself. It is a family word. Whenever I married my wife, Becky, I was a long ways from perfect. And I did not promise her that I would be perfect in our marriage. I promised her that I would be faithful. That's a family word. And so when you think about family and what it means to be family and what our being family with one another here at Campbell Road, what that means and what that looks like, there's words like faithfulness and loyalty and trust. Those are the things that we'll talk about tomorrow morning and what that's supposed to look like. Uh, tomorrow in our second time, we'll talk about cooperation. The goal of this whole thing is to get every single last one of the people who are here across the finish line. And we're not any of us going to do it by ourselves. And so what does it look like to cooperate together as a family? You do it in your own house, right? You, you work together. You cooperate together and admonish one another and encourage one another. And, hey, don't do that. That's a bad idea. And all that kind of stuff. That's what families do. And that's what we do as a family of God's people. On Sunday, we'll talk about love, of course. But there's no way to talk about family without... There's even a word in the ancient world, Philadelphia, brotherly love. This concept was so important to the people who wrote our New Testament that they had a word to describe it. And so we'll talk about love. We'll talk about suffering. Uh, I already told you something about that. And then responsibility. Uh, with the responsibility thing, all this stuff is awesome. I love family. I love it. I love the concept. It, aside from being right with God and having a hope of heaven, the family that I get to be a part of is my favorite part of Christianity. But if you're going to be a part of the family, then you need to act like you're a part of the family. It's true in your house, isn't it? Even the little ones. Like maybe you can't mow the grass yet, but you can empty the silverware and put it away out of the dishwasher. We all do our part and have a responsibility. And so that's kind of a big overview of what we're talking about. Uh, family is really important. I, I think I'm going to skip the whole first lesson because there's other stuff that I want to talk about. But this is the first lesson. I would say, uh, where is the first time that you see family in the Bible? And it's a trick question because what I want you to say is Adam and Eve. But the first time that you see family in the Bible is in the first verse, in the beginning, God. God is three, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Family is not something that God does. It's something that God is. It is his essence to be relational. And the words that we use to describe that relational nature are family words. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's family stuff. And we are made in his image after his likeness. And so family is important. I, you know, I don't care what you see on Facebook or TikTok. Family is important. It's critical. It's critical in, in our homes. It's critical to have that sense of family here. Uh, tonight we'll talk about it's a matter of survival. And so I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you about this. One more thing by way of introduction. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 42. One criticism that I got early on in talking about this is it's so inward focused. It points inward to talk about family. And, and, and you know, we, we are a body of God's people 
But our function and our purpose as God's people is to reach out and share God with the world. And so a lot of our stuff should be, let's go out to them. That's what a lot of what Jesus was doing. Go out to them. The, the sinners and the lost people and the tax collectors and the Gentiles eventually. Let's go out to them. Uh, and so it, if we're talking about family and the church of family, it's awfully inward pointing. And part of that I would say, yep, that's right. You see it in verse 42. Let's see if this is true. Every single time I've read this passage that I can remember, I get goosebumps at some point. I'll tell you where it is. I love, I, it's different every time. I always stop and say it though. I love this passage. When I read this passage, every single time I think, that's what I want. This is what I want. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There it was already. Normally it doesn't happen that early. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. That's one of those words that normally makes me have the goosebumps. I think that's what, when I imagine my kitchen table, that's where everything happens in my house. We come together at dinner time around the kitchen table. That word together means so much to me. And when I think about our church family and what we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to look like, don't just read the words on the page. Really absorb this picture and think about this is what we want. All who believed were together. I'm not talking about locationally. We are together. And they had all things in common, 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, this is not a Sunday thing that's happening right now. This is like family. It's an everyday thing. Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Come on now. When you read that passage, and you, you don't just see the words on the page, but you soak it up, don't you want that? Every single time I read this in Acts chapter 2, I just think that is something worth striving for. I don't know what I have to go through and what kind of hoops I got to jump through and what kind of misery I got to walk through in order to get that, but I'm willing to do it because this is something that I want. It's the inward stuff. But did you notice that I stopped just a little bit early in the verse? Keep going in verse 47. After the family conversation, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a causal statement. It is because of the stuff that we saw in those first verses, the Lord was adding to their number. And you know it's true. It's nice when we have the Word of God, but you don't need the Bible to tell you this. When we do things right in the way that God tells us to do them, and the family is functioning and operating, people out there see it, and they say the same thing about this that I say about this. I want that. I want that in my life. I can't tell you. It's never good when I set that down. Sorry. But this is one of those things where I just, I want to know, seriously, raise your hand. This is principle. So it doesn't have to be exactly this scenario, 
But I would like to see, please would you raise your hand, if something like this is something that you've seen. I don't, it's anecdotal, you know. I don't know how many times I've seen this or if it's true across a broad spectrum, but this is what it kind of looks like. It'll be, it'll be a Christian woman who's married to a man who's not a Christian, and she's faithful and she's devoted, and here is a man who loves his wife. He's a good man, but he's not a Christian. Uh, but because he loves his wife, you know, he supports her in the things that she cares about, and she does, and she'll come to church sometimes, but he goes to the potlucks and the group meetings and the stuff that's going on, and eventually, I don't know what it is. I wish I did, because I would do more of it if I knew what this was, but eventually, this guy clicks with somebody, and they say, hey, would you like to set up a study? And he's like, sure, and then it's not too long after that that he becomes a Christian, and I, I've heard this same thing over and over again. It's like, you know, I, I knew what my wife was doing. I knew what she believed. She told me about it. But I saw what was happening at the potlucks, and that really meant something to me. Have you ever heard anything like that? Does, would you, anybody? Look at that. Seriously. I know I'm not the only one who's in, and it doesn't have to be that, you know, A to A kind of thing, but something like that in principle. When we do the stuff right that God told us to do, that is an outward-focused thing. It shines the glory and the light of the world into the people around us, and they can't help but want to be a part of God's family when they see that we're doing it right. And so this is a worthwhile endeavor to say, okay, family, how are we going to do it, and how are we going to do it uh, better than we have in the past? Let's talk about unity. David De Silva, I'm going to read from him some this week. Uh, Kinship Relations should be characterized by harmony, agreement, and unity. He's talking about family relationships in the first century world when God said, I'm your father and you're my children. And because you're my children, you're brothers and sisters with one another. That's what he's talking about. Agreement and unity, a state that would manifest itself in common commitment to the same ideals, the sharing of a common religion, and the sharing of resources. Uh, here's another one. This book, I, I, you know, it's like every other thing. There's disclaimers attached to this, and I can't just wholly give this recommendation without qualification. It's a man who wrote this book. It's not the Bible, but that book is worth picking up. Um, you're going to fall asleep in the first half, but you have to get through the first half to get to the second half. The second half is where the gold is. Joseph Hellerman, once family demanded the highest commitment of undivided loyalty, that's tomorrow morning, relational solidarity, that's this, we're together. Unity, that's what the solidarity piece is in that personal sacrifice, more than any social entity in Jesus' strong group, Mediterranean world. And one thing that I would like for you to appreciate about unity and family before we jump into our text, in fact, if you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be reading from tonight. One thing that I'd like for you to think about is unity within the family in the ancient world in the context that the Bible was written in and that we're reading about these some things. It's not just nice. Isn't it nice when the church is together and unified? Like, that's good. There's nothing worse than church problems. I don't care if you work a secular job out there. You can have work problems and come home and live your life, whatever. But when there's church problems, that's awful. There's nothing worse than having church problems. And so it's nice when there's unity and it is the way that it's supposed to be. But here's the thing, whenever this 
text is written, unity is not just something that's nice. It is literally a matter of survival. And here's some things to think about with that. Imagine a world where there are zero social programs. So, you know, something goes super sideways in your life and everything's bad. And it's like, you know, I'm going to go down and, uh, and I'll collect a check for a couple of weeks. And it's not the normal amount uh, of money that I would make in, in my regular job, but at least I'm not going to starve sort of a thing. We got all kinds of programs uh, if, you, if you need help with something like that. There is none of that in this world. There are no safety nets. There's no police force. What are you going to do if somebody comes, you know, a band of thugs comes through your neighborhood and, and starts banging on your door and breaking your windows? You're going to call the police. What are you going to do in an ancient world setting where there is no, there's no 911? Your family is 911. And so you being together is actually a matter of survival, like literally a matter of survival. Um, what are you going to do if your crops don't grow? Or you break your leg, you know, your family's going to have to step up. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Just one more thing before we get into Philippians. If there was one place in the ancient world where a person could expect to encounter a united front, it was the descent group family of blood brothers and sisters. Friends, that's us. This united front that God talks about so much, you know, it wasn't Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it was, but he didn't say it first. Jesus said it first, that a house divided is not going to stand. That was Jesus who said that. Um, so let's start. Philippians chapter 1. And what I like to do whenever I read through passages like this, I like to itemize. I love lists. When I'm rolling through the internet, if there's an article that says 10 things to... I don't care what the rest of it is. If I see five things, I'm opening it because I love lists. And so I want to make a list right now. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 27, and I'm going to make the list as we go. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, number one, that you are standing firm in one spirit. This is what Paul expects to see from the church family that is in Philippi. Verses 27 and 28, let's keep going. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, when you're reading that verse, look, look at this, do this with me. I say this all the time because this is what happens. I'll read and if I'm not trying, I don't have any idea what I just read. I read, and I see it, and I say the words, and it's just like it, I don't register. So I always say, don't make that mistake that I make. Go back with me. Let's do that again. Verse 27. See it. I want to see this, that you will, with one mind, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here we are together, side by side, with one mind, and, and verse 28 is really cool because it explains some of the outcome and the whys of this. It says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You got that? You know what that is? Imagine me facing any opponent whatsoever. You know, here's me, here's my opponent. And it's me against him, one-on-one. -on -one. 
Uh, but then imagine if it's my opponent against me and you 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 and we're all standing side by side with one mind together against my opponent. That's a different picture. That's the why for this whole thing. Look at it. Verse 28, he says, when you do this side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents, listen, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. The opponent knows when we stand together, the opponent who in this context is the devil, he knows that he can't win when we stand together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not only that, not only is it a clear sign to our opponents that, uh, of their destruction, but also it is a sign for us of our salvation and that from God. So let's make sure that I'm caught up on all of these things with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Jump down to chapter 2 and verse 2. We're going to keep the list going here. Complete my joy. This is the thing that you see on the list. Being of the same mind. Number two in this section. Having the same love. I love this one. Um... I know that you don't care about what I do with my Bible, but I always like to tell people I highlighted this next section. This next one is super cool. It says, having the same mind, having the same love, and then listen to this one. Being in full accord. That's what it says in my ESV. Being in full accord. That is a really neat word, and it's one that I would think you should write something about in the margin of your Bible so you can know this about this word. This word is unique because it is only used here. It's one of those words that it's like, well, I can't know what this word means because I don't, see, I don't see this word anywhere else in the ancient world. A lot of commentators will say, uh, maybe Paul just invented this word because you don't see this word anywhere else. But the neat thing about this word is that it's a, it's a compound word made up of two words that we do know. So it's not really that difficult to figure out what it means. The first part of the word is sharing and the second part of the word is a soul. Isn't that cool? This is what Paul says. God says that he wants from us. He says he wants us to have the same mind, have the same love. Listen to this. He wants us to share a soul with one another. That's awesome. I love that picture. He says, and also of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. One mind, intent on one purpose. We talked about that one. This is the one that we just read. Do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I need, some, I need some help on this one because I have an ESV. Is there a man who has a New American Standard Version who's willing to read loudly for us? A man who can read with a new... Can you, can you read loud? I got these hearing aids in, man. I need you to read loud for me. Let's hear it. Okay, verse 4. Look at verse 4 in your New American Standard Version and, and stay there. Like, read it and then stay there. Go ahead, verse 4 for us, please. Do not merely look out for your own personal ignorance. Okay. So keep looking at the page. If you have your New American Standard Version, you're in good shape on this one. Do you notice anything about the word merely? It's italicized. 
And what does that mean in your New American Standard Version? It means that it's a word that's been added by the translators to help with the flow. So if you're looking at an interlinear, there's going to be a big open gap on that word. So would you do this, brother, for me? Um, would you read verse 4 again, but leave the word merely out? Do not look out for your own personal interest, but also... Okay, is that different? Is it different to say, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others? Is it different to say, don't merely look out for your own interests? Is it different to say, don't look out for your own interests, but the interests of others? That's different, isn't it? Because the don't merely look out for your own interest is this. Well, of course we're going to look out for our own interests. Like, we don't even need to say that. I'm a human. Don't merely look out for your own interests. Also watch out for other people. But you saw it. That it's italicized. You saw it right on the page there. Don't look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. And so here is this, here's this list that we can see of what it means to be unified and together as a family. The, uh, the, the Christian Standard Version has done this. Anybody got that? I'm seeing more and more of those popping up every once in a while. This is what the Christian Standard Version, it leaves out merely, it says, everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Look back at your text at verse 5. Here's your example of what that means. In case, you know, well, I don't have italics in my Bible, and I don't know all these fancy tricks about the words and the text and all that stuff. Well, you don't have to. Just keep on reading. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Listen, that's not him merely looking out for himself and also for others. That's him not looking out for himself. That's the example that you see here in what Jesus is doing. He emptied himself in verse 7 by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's this stuff that we're talking about right now. The, the togetherness, the unity that we're striving for and looking for here at the Campbell Road Church within this family. It's going to be we before me. There's, there's no way... It is impossible to accomplish this if you have a me-before-we mindset. If you walk into the room, or not room, but just figuratively, like this is the way that you view the world around you and how you think of your relationship with the family, you think this is all about me and what I like and what I want and how I want to do things and all of that stuff. It's all about me and I come before we. It's never going to work. This is the goal. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's the only way we will ever have a chance at being unified. You know that thing that God said in Proverbs, learn from the ant? We're going to learn from Kate Buffalo. I got a video for you. And I'll put this list up after the video. We'll review the stuff that we talked about. This video is so cool. Watch this. Um, 
I know, you know, it's choppy. I edited it. If you want to find this on YouTube, it's called The Battle of Kruger. K-R-U-G-E-R. It's a part. It's dinner time. Here come the lions. There's a lot of lessons in this video. Look who they go after. Who do the lions go after there? They go after the little one. The weak one who's not going to be able to take care of itself. So here are the lions eating the baby Cape Buffalo. This is a really bad day for that Cape Buffalo. I cut. Watch this. Crocodile. You got lions on one side, a crocodile on the other side. There's probably a sermon in there about the devil and the world. I don't know. Just keep on watching. Here you go, though. This is the point. Watch this. I love this part. I always want to clap. Uh-oh. The family says, you don't get to have my little one without a fight. You're not just going to pick off our weak ones. How can you not see? Look at that. Remember the stuff about unity of mind? All of their heads side by side together with one another. That's exactly the thing that we look. There's the baby. They got her back. All right. Standing firm in one spirit. There's no way we get this done unless we do that. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, being of the same mind, having the same love. All of those Cape Buffalo said, that is our little one. That's not my little one. That's our little one. That's having the same love. That's what we're talking about there. Being in full accord, united in spirit, sharing a soul with one another, of one mind intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition. Not one of those Cape Buffalo said, I don't know. I don't want to get bit by a lion. They said, we have a mission to accomplish and we all have to do this together. It's the only way it's going to work. Counting others more significant than yourselves. I'm not going to read all of these passages, but would you do just a couple of them with me? We'll just do two. How about that? John chapter 17. Look at John 17. This one's important because this is what Jesus says that he expects from us as his people. John chapter 17, we're going to start reading in verse 20. And I'm going to read down to verse 23. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus is praying and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that, this is what Jesus prays for his people, that they may all be one, listen to the qualifier, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is so much stuff in that one verse. What is the oneness? You know, I, I started with this lesson, the the, the picture of the relational essence and nature of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
I intentionally, deliberately try to stay as far away from that conversation as I possibly can because always somebody's going to say, hey, I have a question about that. And then I'm going to say, yeah, me too. I don't, I'm not the guy to explain how, what it means to be one God, but also three persons in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you know what the problem is with that? The problem is that they are so intertwined with one another that we cannot even talk about one without talking about the other. And when Jesus prayed to God, he said, Father, the same thing that you and I have, that's what I want for my people. And do you notice the last thing about verse 21? He says, and when the world sees that we get that part right, they're going to know. It says that they may also be in this, so that, uh, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Uh, since we're only going to do one other passage, let's go to Psalm 133. Uh, I guess the bad news is that we're going to read the whole psalm. The good news is it's only three verses. This is, this is really neat. It's worth remembering on this point. I know it's only three verses. Probably I should have said this before I told you it was only three verses. There is an entire psalm about this subject. Look at it, verse 1, Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If ever there was a time... You don't have to say it. I don't care. But if ever there was a time to think in your heart, amen, that's it. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. I have a, um, I have a picture that uh, comes into my mind. I'm sorry, AV people. I don't know what I just did there, but I'm done if you want to get your song queued up. It's, uh, it's a picture that pops into my mind. You know about March Madness? Um, whenever you're watching it, it doesn't matter what round of March Madness it is. It happens every year, and the game is a super close game. And and we don't know how it's going to go, and the team doesn't know how it's going to go. What happens every single year with the team that's sitting on the bench in one of those close games? We see it every year. They sit together, and they pull their arms out, and they go like this, don't they? You know what I'm talking about? And they all are going like this, but they're locked up, man. And, and I don't even know if they know what they're doing. It's, we're in this battle, and we want to win, and, and the natural reaction in that situation is, come here, come here, and we're going to grab each other. I did this in, um, where's Gary Sandusky? Madison, Indiana is where I did this. And then we had a, I talked about this on, on a Sunday morning, and we had a potluck. It was the coolest thing for lunch. 
we went to the potluck at a community center and, and we all got around and we said, okay, it's time to pray. And somebody said, hold on, let's lock our arms. And we all stood together as a family and we locked our arms and we prayed. That means something. And this is the reason why I'm telling you. It's not just another sermon. You've read it a dozen times in the Bible by yourself, and you've, you've heard Jordan, Brother Jenkins, you've heard him talk about this stuff. It's important, and so we talk about this stuff all the time. It's not just another sermon. The reason why we're talking about this stuff so much all the time is because it's not going to happen by itself. The only way that this unity that we've been looking at, that God says, I, if you want to survive, the only way that's going to happen is if every single person looks to the left and to the right and forward and backwards and reaches out your arm and says, we're together. And we're going to walk through some fire and there's going to be lots of hurt. Sometimes the hurt is going to come from inside and we're going to suffer, but we're together. That's the thing I need you to do right now. Not lock your arms. I need you to get that in your head right now. To think right now. Get your head straight. Get your mind clear. Whatever comes, we're together. It's the unity that God said he expects, demands from us. Matthew 12, 25. No house divided against itself can stand. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... There's another piece of this that I have to say at the end of this lesson, and that is, I hope that you see this great blessing that God has given us. And, hey, it's, you know, you get, you get to be forgiven of your sins and you have the hope of heaven. Yes, that's the best part. Um, but also you get this, family. I, I hope that you see that and you think, I want a part of that. I need you to know something, though. I'm going to let you down. I promise. I'm not just saying it. I promise. I'm going to make mistakes, and so are these folks. We're going to let you down. But there is one brother that you get to have when you become a Christian who will never let you down. He's going to grab a hold, and he's never going to let go, so long as you don't let go of him. And so if you know what you need to do to become a part of God's family through Jesus, to come to God through Jesus in faith, to repent of the sin that has created this disaster, separation from God in the first place. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. To confess proudly before... this is I know that nobody likes to say anything in front of other people. This is one of those times, though, where you stand up before others and you say, Jesus is King, and I'm going to say it. And then to commit to die to yourself. Listen to this language. You do with that dead person, the same thing that we do with all dead things. You bury him in the waters of baptism, and then you are born again into a new family to walk in newness of life. If we can help you with that tonight, come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.